Welcome to The Gods We Belong To, an urban fantasy noir podcast. The Gods We Belong To tells one continuous story in order, and it's important to start at the beginning. So, first timers, it's back to episode one for you. Now, my faithful friends, take a beat, take a breath, and let's check in with Alex. Chapter 5 Maybe I forgot to set the alarm. I was pretty toasted last night, so there's always a chance of that. No. No, I definitely set it. I I remember setting it, but then I also vaguely remember probably leaving my phone on the passenger seat of the Maserati, which would explain why I'm still in bed and Detective Arissa Mars is banging on the front door of my borrowed bungalow, barking impatiently. Alex! Get the fuck up! I roll out of bed, shuffle slash stumble my way to the door, and clumsily grope at the lock for longer than it should take to do such a simple thing. I turn the knob and let the door swing open. Arissa glares at me with a combination of irritation and amusement. Mostly irritation. I knew it. Five minutes, I say, glossing over her condescending tone and insulting if accurate evaluation of my character. I turn and head to the bathroom. She follows me inside and continues. We did agree on... Five minutes, I repeat, and shut the bathroom door behind me. I make quick work of the shower, no shaving, and head back out wrapped in a towel. You might want to wait outside for a minute. There isn't exactly a private spot to change in this place. Arissa just smirks and goes to stand in the far corner of the small kitchen. I think this'll do. I promise not to peek. Well, I tease, tossing jeans and a t-shirt on the bed, if you think you can resist. It's taking every ounce of willpower I've got. Now hurry the fuck up and get dressed. I do as she suggests. I also grab my jacket, stash a few joints in the inside pocket, and then we're on the road in Arissa's car. After we hit a drive through for coffee, I pull a joint from my pocket and go to light it. You do know I'm a cop, right? Arissa asks. I do. I also know it's legal now, so... Then how about, this is my car and I'd rather you didn't? Fair enough. You just pull over for a few minutes and I'll take care of business. We're running late as it is, she growls. Then after a long pause... At least open the window, for fuck's sake. Happy to, I spark the joint, roll the window all the way down. And running late? For what exactly? Earlier is better, she says with certainty. The world is quieter, no people buzzing around, or at least fewer. It's easier to think. Give me a few minutes and I'll agree with you, I say taking a hit and holding it for several sputtering seconds before deflating. 
Whatever works, Arissa rolls her eyes. Just remember, my family expects results. So does my boss, I counter. Give me some credit. I'm not Odin's man on the street just because we're related. I promise. I'm good at this. I take another long drag. I hope so, Arissa says. I really do, because honestly, I am fucking stumped on this one. And Artemis is dead sure Apollo's innocent, but I can't find a shred of evidence to back up her instinct. Hmm. So it's Aunt Artemis, but not Uncle Apollo. Have you ever met Apollo? Arissa asks, sounding irritated that she even has to explain this. No, I admit. Well, you're going to. And when you do, then you can tell me how warm and fuzzy he makes you feel. Most of them aren't much better. You don't hear me calling Ares dad. Point taken. Artemis, Athena, Hermes? They're the only ones who ever really reached out. Athena and Artemis are a little colder, especially Artemis. But they care, in their way. If it makes you feel any better, you're not the only one with relatives who are off the charts creepy. Is Odin that bad? From what you said, I didn't think... Not Odin. Okay, she shoots me a quizzical look. Another time, I promise. I'll tell you the whole story, just not right now. Okay, she agrees, looking almost concerned. But I am definitely holding you to that promise. You owe me a family horror story. Deal, I nod. And you have no idea. I turn my attention back to the yin-yang perfect pairing of coffee and marijuana, stare out the window and let the early L.A. morning wash over me. I'm deep in thought, or at least well and spaced out, when Arissa interrupts the calm. Okay, I gotta ask. I mean, I've been trying to find a tactful way to... The eye patch, right? How did you know? You mean other than the fact that you've been staring at it and trying real hard to pretend you weren't since yesterday? Yeah, she chuckles. Other than that. I'm used to it by now. The looks, the questions. With most folks, the truth is out of the question, so I have an impressive array of stories for the curious. Street fight, bow hunting accident, spitting cobra, falling icicle, angry chimp. But Arissa isn't most folks. Odin took the eye, if you must know. Holy shit, Arissa almost whispers. Why the fuck? It's okay. He did it to protect me, I assure her, knowing full well how crazy that must sound. He even asked first. He what? I mean, it's not like he just tackled me and yanked it out, I say. I hope not. No, no, definitely no tackling. But the yanking? I swallow hard. That's insane, she says, stunned. You know my family is a literally epic shit show, but they've never tried to remove any part of my anatomy, so score one for Team Olympus, I guess. That's a pretty low bar, right? She exclaims. But seriously, explain. How the fuck was that supposed to protect you? Long story short, Odin gave me an upgrade. 
An eye that would let me see their kind for what they are, their true forms. Just something to even the playing field a little. Okay, that does sound handy. But, of course, I had to lose an eye first. And since magic is apparently all about sacrifice, I had to be wide awake when he took it. What happened to the upgrade? Oh, it worked great for a few days, until some half-angel hitman caved in the side of my face. Would have killed me if it weren't for Odin, but the eye was a loss, shattered. So, no more magic vision? Oh, contraire, Detective Mars. All that and more besides. It's like I can see beneath the surface of their words. What the fuck does that mean? It means I can tell if they're lying. No shit, her eyebrows raise in definite interest. Which is pretty much always, I bet. You'd be surprised. Mostly, they just leave shit out. They tell small truths, but not the whole truth. And that doesn't set off your spider sense or whatever? Depends on the god. Maybe if it's a major league omission from a minor league liar. So, with this vision, when you look at me, what do you see? I immediately skip past the first several responses that spring to mind. Just you, and a bit of a glow, I reply. An aura, I guess. What kind of an aura? Red. Like, uh, bright, happy red? She asks, with a look of fearful anticipation that tells me she knows the answer before I even open my mouth. Blood red. I reply. Arissa says nothing for several seconds, then. Well, that fucking figures. She abruptly reaches over and snatches the mostly smoked joint out of my hand, takes a hit, and hands it back. That bastard is a part of me. No matter how much I hate it, makes sense it would show. I stare in stunned silence for a minute before finishing the last of the joint and dropping it into my almost empty coffee cup. Erissa, look. I've seen Ares. What he really is. Which is... indescribable. Just be glad you can't see it. Point is, your aura... It's nothing like that. Night and day. Yeah? Yeah. Good to know, she sighs, then adds, Damn, this shit is strong. You okay to drive? Fine, she assures me. And besides, we're almost there. We wind through slender, snaky streets for a few minutes more before turning onto a long driveway with an ornately decorated gate. Arissa leans out her window, presses the talk button on the call box, and waits. The speaker spits out a burst of static, followed by a fuzzy voice. Can I help you? Arissa Mars, LAPD, she barks into the box. Here to walk the crime scene. Of course, Detective Mars, comes the response. Pull up the driveway and to the right. You can park in front of the groundskeeper's shed. Thanks, she answers, and does exactly that. The house itself is a habitable monument to wealth without taste. 
garish gilded columns, overwrought iron, and way, way too much tile. We step out of the car and she motions for me to follow, heading back behind the main house to the sprawling grounds. We follow a thick, tall hedge until it breaks, then turn right down a narrow path, dense, tall greenery on either side. After about twenty feet, the hedge gives way to a grove of fruit trees with an alcove at its center. There's a hot tub, a few stone benches, and a semicircle of torches. The whole area is cordoned off, and I can see the murder victim's outline marked in tape at the edge of the tub. This is it, Arissa announces. You don't say. Wise ass. Runs in the family, I explain, walking past her for a closer look. Seems like the victim had been seated, arms spread out, just a party guest taking a leisurely soak, apart from being dead and having bloody pits where his eyes should have been. I instinctively reach for my own lost eye and feel the now familiar worn leather patch, a gift from Odin to cover the ruin. A slight shudder ripples through me. Other than the apparent position of the body, there's not much to see immediately around the tub. At this point, any obvious clues are long since bagged and tagged. Anything less obvious probably ended up underfoot as half the cops in Hollywood paraded through the scene. A few minutes of scrutiny confirms my hunch. Did they find anything? The first officers on the scene? I ask her. Other than the dead guy? And the girl? Blood. And plenty of it. Do we know who's? The dead guy, around the body. And the girl, most of it over by that bench, then trailing up to where the other guests found her. Do we have an official cause of death on the guy? Strangulation. Manual. And the eyes. He was still alive when they were ripped out. Probably happened while he was being strangled. Shit, I say wide-eyed. That is cold. No kidding. Don't suppose they found the eyes? They did not. Okay, then. So that's it? Arissa shoots back. Hardly. I figure, given the crime scene, Apollo, right there in the hot tub with the eyeless dead guy, violated girl not far off... They must have assumed they had it nailed shut. Well, that's probably what I would have thought, she admits. So, I continue, if you think you've got your guy, case closed, then you probably don't do much by way of a perimeter search. Let's hope they missed something. I walk to the outer edge of the clearing and make my way slowly around the ring of trees. I'm almost the whole way around and almost convinced I'm wasting my time when I see something nestled among the roots of a lemon tree. It's a crumpled pack of cigarettes, half empty, several butts are ground out in the dirt nearby. Next to the pack is a magazine, neatly folded in half. Here we go, I crow, motioning Arissa over. The folded magazine is hardcore German bondage porn. I snap on one of Arissa's latex gloves and turn the pages. Ironically, the first thing I notice is the text areas. It looks like they've been annotated by an army of grad students covered in extensive highlighting and margin notes. Except it's gibberish. Literally, most of the writing isn't recognizable words. The rest isn't even recognizable letters. The images are, ironically, untouched. 
Europorn? Arissa inquires distastefully, peering over my shoulder. And cigarettes, I add. Someone spent some time here. Okay, she acknowledges, could be something. And also, yuck. It's definitely something, I say. If it was just the cigarettes, I'd say this might have been a cop. But this, I point at the magazine, is firmly in Camp Crazy. Same goes for the crimes themselves. And the odds of this little patch of dirt being ground zero for two wholly unrelated batshit crazy things are slim to fuck all. No, someone was here that night. Maybe they saw something. Or maybe they did something. Yeah, they took notes, Arissa quips. If Apollo really is innocent, I continue, this chain-smoking pervert just might be our guy. Either way, we need to talk to him. Great, Arissa smirks. I walk further back into the trees. After a few feet, the ground slopes down to a steep hill, dense with foliage. At the bottom is a security fence, barbed wire at the top and the base, and beyond that, the same snaking road we'd driven up to get here. Shit, I exhale. This would have been perfect cover, with a perfect escape. Never mind that the cops probably weren't even looking for anyone. I'm calling this in. We need a thorough search of the area, she says. Or, maybe we keep this to ourselves. What? She shoots me a suspicious look. Look, we have no fucking idea what's going on here. And chances are most of this is well beyond the bounds of traditional law enforcement. I get that this is an ongoing investigation and you have to feed them something, but a heavy police presence does not help us here. You want me to keep potential evidence a secret? Undermine the investigation? I thought we were supposed to be finding the truth. Her blood-red aura flares, burning hot and bright around her. I guess I shouldn't be surprised that Ares' daughter goes from zero to fangs bared in no time flat, but... The sudden and dramatic burst of anger still sends me back a step. No one's undermining anything. You want the truth? We stand a better chance of finding it, or at least the crumbs that lead to it, before the fucking goon squad descends. You know the cops are not equipped to deal with this shit. Her indignant expression softens. The intense red glow radiating from her softens along with it, and I exhale in relief. Okay she concedes. Let's see what we can find. As it turns out, the trail we're looking for is pretty fucking obvious. Whoever this was made no attempt to hide their path. Flattened grass, broken branches, and a few more scattered cigarette butts clearly mark the way, which ends at a stretch of fence where the barbed wire and chain link have been pulled up at the bottom. The opening is just large enough for a person to squeeze under, a very thin person, and then there's the blood, a dried patch on the ground, a spatter on the barbed wire, droplets leading down the road, but only a few feet. The trail ends with a larger blood stain, then nothing. Clumsy, Arissa comments. Our guy seems pretty bad at this. He's disorganized, I concur. Whether this guy's guilty of murder and rape or just breaking and entering this, breaking in, sneaking out... It wasn't planned, it was impulsive. 
So, Joe Pervert here somehow just wanders impulsively up into the Hollywood Hills, and then he impulsively crawls under barbed wire, walks up the hill, impulsively sees or does something terrible, and then just fucks off back down the hill? I pause for a moment, turning the scenario over in my head. Something like that. How does that make sense? She asks. I don't know. Yet. But something drew this guy here, and then something made him leave in a hurry. What makes you say that? The blood only trails out, away from the property. However he got in, he did it cleanly, not so much on the way out. Okay, Arissa nods. So the question is, what kind of bait packs enough punch to lure someone miles off the beaten path along the most unlikely of routes? to what ends up being the scene of a horrific crime. Which leads to another question. Who or what even has the capacity to feel that kind of allure? You think we're dealing with... one of them? Another Olympian? She asks, dread in her voice. Could be, I shrug. Or just as likely, it's one of the who-the-fuck-knows-how-many-other-members-of-the-global-extended-family. Shit, Arissa says flatly. This just keeps getting messier. I can't say she's wrong. I mean, as far as the LAPD is concerned, they have a very clear picture of what happened that night. But everything I learn from Artemis' insistence on her brother's innocence to this insane trail of clues, it all makes the picture look less Ansel Adams and more Jackson Pollock. I meet her confused gaze and just nod. So what the hell do we do next? She asks. I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't get hung up on questions we can't answer. We focus on what we know, what's right in front of us. Which means... We stay on this trail. This trail that ends just beyond the fence? She gestures in frustration. This trail that ends with a very usable amount of blood. Okay, Arissa acknowledges, but if this is... one of us, then who's to say we've even got him in the DNA database? Who said anything about a database? I flash a conspiratorial smile. There are other ways, better ways, to read stories written in blood. This has been The Gods We Belong To, Book 2, Chapter 5. The Gods We Belong To is written, performed, edited, and produced by Dan Goldstein. Theme music is I'll Drive by Daniel Birch. Additional music, Passed Out Drunk, Golden Bunny, Say It Again, I'm Listening, in Pursuit of Silence and Apollo by Daniel Birch, and The True Entity of Life by Daniel Birch and Ben Hegley. Daniel is online at danielbirchmusic.com. Our spectacular episode art is by the talented and beautiful Jen Goldstein. 
If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and help spread the word. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Host. Tweet. Adapt the show into a Broadway musical. Five-star ratings are particularly helpful and appreciated. However you do it, thank you. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Gods We Belong To. Episodes and more at thegodswebelongto.net. We're taking a short break after this week, but fear not. Chapter 6 arrives on August 12th. So, until then, don't do anything Alex wouldn't do.